Welcome to Through the Bible. Our study today begins in Philippians 2, verse 12. So as you turn there, here's Dr. McGee to set the stage for us. Our study today, friends, brings us to the second chapter of Philippians at verse 12. If you do not have notes and outlines, a new listener today, let me suggest that you write in and ask for notes and outlines. There's no charge for them. That'll put you on the mailing list to receive them hereafter. Now, the great sin today of the average Christian is his ignorance of the Word of God. Do you know that if a doctor didn't know any more about medicine than the average Christian does about the Bible, that every patient in the hospital would die before morning, and all of the patients of all the doctors would be on their deathbed. If those that are working in some technical field, like working with the atom, are aeroplane, suppose the pilot of one of these big jet airplanes with 200 passengers aboard didn't know any more about that airplane than the average Christian knows about the Bible, and I say to you, those 200 passengers, I don't think, would reach their destination at all. Ms. McGee and I were coming back from Miami, Florida some time ago, and we got on the plane, and it was an L-1011, a big plane. And after we got out quite a ways, we had passed over the Gulf and was somewhere in Texas. The pilot, the captain of the plane... A fine-looking man, he looked like he might be in his 50s, he came back into the passenger section, and he saw me reading a book. I actually was reading Dr. Schaefer's book, and he looked at me, and he said, do you like that book? I told him I did, and the conversation began there, and finally I said to him, I said, are you a Christian? And he said to me, yes, I am. And he said, I listened to you last night on the radio. And he went on to talk about the Bible. And I found out that this captain not only knew how to operate that plane, but he knew a great deal about the Bible. And I thought, as that man went back up, my wife, she turned to me, she says, you know, I feel safer now knowing that he's a Christian and he seems to know so much. And I had to agree with her that I felt the same way. And may I say to you that it was very comforting to know you have a man up there that knows something about the Bible and knows a great deal about an airplane. I want to say to you that if you and I were on a plane today and I was the captain, I don't think that you'd make it because I don't know anything about a plane But may I say to you that it's so tragic today to see so many church members that are woefully ignorant of the Word of God. And very frankly, we are tremendously concerned about getting the Word of God out. We urge you. In fact, we insist that you study the Word of God with us. We would like to have you and like to have you listen to a program that'll take you through the entire Word of God. And 
we believe that if we're going to teach the Word of God, we ought to get results. And if we don't get results, we're just spinning our wheels. We just, well, get the yellow pages of the phone book and start looking up numbers there to call. Or study the dictionary, because one fellow said he liked to read the dictionary because the stories were so short. Well, maybe that's what we ought to be doing. But we believe that we are seeing results today. And that's the reason that we read these excerpts to you, to let you know what the Word of God is doing, not only in this country, but throughout the world. We need today men and women in our churches that are committed to know the Word of God, that they're going to give that top priority in their lives. And when we do that, friends, we're going to see a great change take place in the church life, home life, and out yonder in the business world today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us be men and women who are hungry for your truth and are pressing on to know you and follow your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Now here's our study of Philippians 2 on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now we're in the second chapter of the epistle to the Philippians, and today we put in it verse 12. And we have seen the pattern here for Christian living, and that's given to us, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Now that mind is not a mind that you imitate. We'll never be like him by imitating only by impartation. And that means the Spirit of God must do it, because the thing that characterized the life of our Lord was humiliation. He humbled himself. And he came down to this earth, and he took our place. Now, you and I can't imitate him, but the Spirit of God can produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And one of the fruits is meekness. And that would be the mind of Christ. Now we're going to see the mind of Christ as it walked down Roman roads, as it lived in Roman homes and was in a Roman jail. We're going to see the mind of Paul. We're going to see the mind of Timothy. And we're going to see the mind of Epaphroditus, who was the pastor of the church in Philippi. And in that pagan heathen empire, here are three men that exhibited the mind of Christ. And they're just three of three million. There was every bit of that at this time. And by the time you get to 100 A.D., that had been multiplied several times over. Now will you notice, verse 12, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And frankly, salvation here, I think, is used in a general sense that he's talking about working out their problems that they have in the church, working out their own Christian life. He's not there to help them, and he's not sure he's going to ever be there again. He's in a Roman prison. So Paul says to them here, in a very wonderful way, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. A little girl was in church with her mother when the preacher read 
this verse in the passage of Scripture. Here he was reading. And when he read this verse, the little girl said in a stage whisper to her mother, she says, Mama, you can't work out salvation unless it's first been worked in, can you? And that's a very good question. You can't work out a salvation unless it's first been worked in. And we find here that it is God, verse 13, it's God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure, so that God works out that which he works in. If he has saved you, he saved you by faith. Faith plus nothing is salvation. We've emphasized that again and again on this program, that you can't be saved by works. God's not accepting works for salvation at all. But after you're saved, now God will talk to you about works then. And the salvation that he works in by faith is a salvation that he'll work it out also. It was Calvin that put it like this, faith alone saves, but the faith that saves is not alone. And James says, you show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. You see, only God can see the heart. He knows what your true condition is, and he knows what my true condition is. He knows whether I have saving faith, whether you have saving faith. But you know, your neighbor can't see saving faith, but he can see the works of faith. Now, not works of law. James not even talking about that. He's talking about the works of faith. And saving faith, he's saying, will work itself out so your neighbor will get the impression that you're different that you are a Christian. Now, you wouldn't have to wear a placard around. As we read a little note the other day, the statement was made, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? It's a good question. Would there be enough evidence to convict you? Well, Paul is talking now about that faith that's going to work itself out in the lives of the Philippians. Now he says here in verse 14, Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Don't accept an office in the church or teach a Sunday school class if you have to grumble about doing it. That absolutely wrecks more Christian work today than anything else. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Be like a light. And the Lord Jesus said that you're the light of the world. You and I look up at night and we see stars. God looks down at this earth and it's spiritually dark and he sees stars. Those that are his that are down here that are light in the world. And he says now, holding forth the word of life, not light, but light and life are related. Holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. In other words, Paul says, I rejoice when I hear that your faith is manifested in good works. Now we have here in verse 17, yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, 
I joy and rejoice with you all. Now, here is one of the most wonderful verses that I think that you'll find in the entire Word of God. Here is a lovely verse of what a Christian life really should be. What he's referring to here is an offering that was back in the Old Testament. It's one of the earliest offerings, the burnt offering and the drink offering were the first offerings that you find mentioned. Over in Genesis 35, verse 14, we find here that when Jacob came back to Bethel, this is what he did. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, even a pillar of stone, and he poured a drink offering thereon, and he poured oil thereon. Now, that drink offering was an offering always poured out and generally poured out on another offering so that when you get over to the giving of the offerings in the first part of Leviticus, the drink offering is not even mentioned. There's no mention of it at all. But you will find later on in Leviticus that there is a mention of the drink offering. And it was an offering that another offering was made, and the drink offering was poured on it. Let me just give one reference. That's over in Leviticus 23.13. And the meal offering thereof shall be two-tenth deals of fine flour mingled with oil, an offering made by fire unto the Lord for a sweet savor, and the drink offering thereof shall be of wine the fourth part of a hen. Now, that drink offering, you see, was poured upon that red-hot offering, the meal offering there. And what would happen to a drink offering? It went up in steam. That's exactly what happened to it. The drink offering was never used in the sense of being consumed. Apparently never was. It was always poured out. And when it was poured out on another offering like this, it just went up in steam. Now, the picture here I think is tremendous. Paul is saying here, now listen to him carefully, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith... I joy and rejoice with you all. Paul says, the Lord Jesus made the supreme sacrifice, and he saved you. And I want your life to manifest the fact that you are serving a crucified but a risen and glorified and coming Savior. I want that to be demonstrated. Now, Paul says, for me, I just want my life to be a drink offering. Just poured out. Poured out just to go up and steam, friends, to be so consumed and obscured that all is seen is Jesus Christ. That's all. Oh, sometimes you hear the prayer today, hide the preacher back of the pulpit. And I used to think that would be a pretty good thing to do, is to hide him back there if you could. But the thing is that That's not quite it. Don't hide him back in the pulpit. But may he so give out the word of God that somebody will see Jesus Christ. May his life be just a drink offering. Paul walked in humility. You see, he had the mind of Christ. How wonderful and how gloriously wonderful it is. Now Paul can say, for the same cause also, do ye joy and rejoice with me. He says, if that takes place... 
and you, uh, your life commends the gospel. My life is just poured out as a drink off. Well, he says, we'll all just rejoice over this. Oh, today we're rejoicing over the wrong thing. We need to rejoice over the fact that Jesus died for us and that we can serve him. And when we hear of someone that God's using, a wonderful church where people are being saved and they're being built up in the faith, we ought to just rejoice. If we're walking in humility, we'll rejoice. And we'll rejoice at the success of others. Oh, this strife, vain glory. Paul talks about that here. That's what was hurting the cause of Christ in Paul's day and still hurts the cause of Christ. But to have your life where the mind of Christ is revealed, oh, that brings joy and brings glory to God. Now, will you notice we have here now the mind of Timothy? And if you look here at the mind of Timothy, well, he had a mind that was very wonderful also. Now, will you notice the mind of Timothy is like-minded with Paul. Listen to him here. Verse 19 now through verse 24. He says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. Now, he says, I'm going to send my spiritual son to you, Timothy. I have great confidence in him. Listen to him. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state, or who will truly care for your state. Now, this is a marvelous word, this I soup soup like-minded. I have no man like-minded. You see, Timothy was like-minded with Paul. And what kind of mind did Paul have? Well, in humility. He had the mind of Christ. Now, Timothy is like-minded with Paul. And you see, when two men have the mind of Christ, they're going to be together. You don't have to have a national council of churches and a world council of churches to get people together. In fact, you don't need any organization to get them together. If they both have the mind of Christ, they're together. <laughs> they're together, my friend. And this man, Timothy, Paul called him his son, his spiritual son. He led him to the Lord, and he'd been faithful to him. And sometimes you hear of one of your converts that has turned against you. It's like a child turning against you. And Paul had that happen to him also. But Timothy was faithful to him. And he says, I'm sending him because I can trust him. Wonderful today to have men like-minded with Christ and they can work together. And that's the only way, by the way, they can work together. Now, listen to Paul. Somebody's going to say, now, McGee, why do you always call attention to the negative side? I'll tell you why, because Paul does. I just anticipated him a little here. Listen to him. Verse 21, For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. They were seeking their own man. There were so many Christians that they were tempting to make a name for themselves. They were tempting to do something for their own glory. And as a result, they were willing to put Paul down and put him aside. And how do you respect others that are standing for the Word of God? When I hear some 
man of God today being criticized, I recognize that somewhere in there, I may not be able to detect just exactly what it is, but somewhere in there, there is strife and vain glory. The mind of Christ just wouldn't let you do that sort of thing. And Paul says here, I can't trust these other men. They all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ, but ye know the proof of him. And this boy Timothy had proved himself, but ye know the proof of him, that as a son with a father he hath served with me in the gospel. Isn't that wonderful? My friend, how wonderful it is when we really have the mind of Christ. We're together. You and I together. May I say to you, friends, we're together if we have the mind of Christ. Talk about togetherness. You can't have it any better than that when someone has the mind of Christ and you have the mind of Christ. You're together. You're together whether you're a thousand miles apart. You're together. Nothing will bring you together like that. And you know, that's the reason that when a young man meets a young woman and they're both Christians and fall in love with each other, you know, they have a togetherness that you can't get in just a sexual marriage, friend. All you got is something physical. And you can buy that today on any corner. But when you have the same mind, the man and the woman, they're together. You can't have it any better than that. There's no human ceremony that can bring you together any more than that. This is a glorious, wonderful thing. Now, Paul goes on to say, Him therefore I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. Paul says, I want him to be able to bring to you the report of what's going to happen to me here in prison. And I want Timothy to be the one to bring the message to you. But Paul goes on now to say something else here. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Paul had hoped that he'd be released from prison. Now, tradition says that he was and that he was out for a brief time until Nero reached out and pulled in Christians. And naturally, Paul the leader was pulled in and executed. Now we come to the mind of Epaphroditus. And this man has the word of Christ, and he's like-minded with Paul and Timothy. He has the mind of Christ, and they're all together, brethren in the Lord, serving the Lord. Now, will you notice this? He says, yet I supposed it necessary to send to you, Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and a fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants, Paphroditus. Who is he? Well, he was the pastor of the church up in Philippi. He's my brother. Paphroditus wasn't jealous of this man, Paul. Paul had founded the church, had a great ministry there. And Paphroditus is not jealous of him at all. And Paul loves Paphroditus because he has the mind of Christ, and he can trust him. And he's my brother. He's my companion in labor. And he's my fellow soldier. He fights with me. He doesn't stick a knife in my back when I'm away. He doesn't go with my enemies. He's my fellow soldier. He stands with me, shoulder to shoulder, standing for the faith. 
but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. Now, listen to this. For he longed after you all, and he was full of heaviness because that ye had heard that he had been sick. Paul always has a good word to say for a preacher like this. And it's nice to see that. Paul brings this man, puts him right with him as his brother, his companion, and he tells the church over there, he says, he longed after you. He was sick, almost sick, nigh unto death. And we're going to have to wait till next time to see something quite remarkable. Did you know Paul had a hospital on his hands, even while he was there in prison? And we're going to see what he did about it. We'll see that next time. And so until next time, may God richly bless you, my beloved. Well, that's all for today. To be in touch, call 1-800-65-BIBLE or visit ttb.org. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'll meet you back here next time. God bless you today as you walk with Him. Today's study is always available, free to stream or download, thanks to the generous and faithful investments from your fellow Bible bus travelers. Just go to ttb.org or download our app to listen again anytime. As always, we'd love to know what's God teaching you.